Welcome to Hey YA, from great new books to favorite classic reads, from news stories to the latest in on-screen adaptations, Hey YA is here to elevate the exciting world of young adult lit. Hey YA is a book riot podcast hosted by Erica Azafetti and me, Tirza Price. We are recording this on June 2nd. Hello, Erica. Hey, 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 how are you? I'm exhausted today, but otherwise good. Oh my god, I'm sure. I know before we were recording, we were exchanging temperature details because we are um, at the age where we always discuss the weather. (laughs) Yep, that's us. That's what we do. I'm sure. The weather and cats. Um, And it's like 90 degrees for no reason. Yeah. Roastedy toastedy. Yes. Yes. (laughs) Yeah, and I usually we record like in the early afternoons, but today we're recording later because it was the summer reading program launch Mm. at my library. So that was a whole thing. It's I mean like it's always really nice to see so many people in the library and everybody like really Mm -hmm. excited about books and all that. But like also I was like, okay, I need to go home and sleep for a year. (laughs) Um, yeah, and it's like I'm very sensitive to heat, so uh, having to walk around in the heat, mm-mm, I will be like, all right, I need to lie down. Like, yes. I need cold water and I need to lie down. Like, I just need to preserve my yeah. delicate constitution. My delicate constitution. Yes. <laughs> I do have a delicate constitution. I'm going to make sure to say that from now on. And exactly those words. I'm also super excited for the summer reading program, even though I don't work at a library anymore. And I wish, like... <sighs> I kind of wish that, like, I don't know, I think the library I go to has a decent amount of adults interested in it. But do you feel like, from what you saw today, do you feel like, it's going to be obviously a lot of kids, but do you feel like there were, like, a decent amount of adults who were there just for themselves? Not a ton of adults who were just there from the, for themselves, but, like, we did yeah. have some adults who, like, they came in and they're like, oh, and I can do it, too, and be like, yeah, you can do it. Because my library, actually, this is the first year that we've opened it up to teens and adults, which I was like, this is ridiculous. Like, it should always be open to teens and adults. Like, it yeah. should be open to everybody. Um, yeah. So that, I, like, I this is, like, the fun perks of being a small-town library director. Like, I can just make executive decisions. And one executive decision I made was that, like, oh, summer reading for everybody. But, like, what was really great is adults who didn't know, like, got really excited. They were like, wait, I can do it, too. And I was like, yeah, you can. Like, let's go. It's going to be great. So, but my last library, we had it open for adults. And that was just kind of, like, a standard thing. And I think it was always fun. And then um, there was a few years where I wasn't working in libraries. And I was, a, you know, participating in the adult summer reading program. And I guess it's going to depend on your location, because if you live like in a bigger metro area or a bigger library system that has it open to adults, like, you know, there might be more stiff competition. But like, at least <laughs> in the places where I've lived, because yeah. like, you know, it's relatively new that they're kind of keeping it open for adults, or it's kind of a smaller town. Um, yeah. Whenever I participate, I usually always win something, because there's <laughs> not that many other adults doing it. And I'm like, why not? Yeah. Come on, adults, like, let's get on it. But also, let's I appreciate, together, yeah. yeah, I appreciate the, the one year that I won like a bundle of gift certificates to like all these places <gasps> in my town so definitely Amazing. yes it is officially june go sign up for your summer reading program um and if you don't think you have one contact your local library and see what you got because you might yeah. have something that's like our psa for today 
Yes, please do. I, yeah, I am really excited about it. So I am, me asking that question is just really from a selfish standpoint, because I'm like, where are the other adults at? But I mean, I do also like the competition of it, because you do, they do usually have pretty nice little gift cards to share. Yeah, gift cards are prizes. Yes, I'm, I'm all for that. Yes, do it. Yes. So we have some cool news stories and some awesome books to talk about. Before we get into that, let's hear from our sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by Entangled Publishing's Red Tower Books, publisher of the smash hit Fourth Wing. So this book I'm about to tell you about might be the next Book Talk Darling. It's a high-octane fantasy adventure filled with risk, romance, action, and sweet vengeance. In it, there are five liars who have five agendas, but only one target. So in Five Broken Blades from author Mae Corlin, the five most dangerous liars in the land have been mysteriously summoned to work together for a single objective, which is to kill the cruel God King June. Each has tasted bitterness, from the hired hitman seeking atonement to the lovely assassin dreaming of freedom, to even the prince exiled for his own crimes. This is a high-stakes game of treachery where the vengeance is sweet, the secrets are delicious, and each page deepens a journey that will keep you guessing until the very end. This also has themes of friendship, found family. You got a little bit of everything in this. Make sure to check out Five Broken Blades. And thanks again to Entangled Publishing's Red Tower Books, publisher of the smash hit Fourth Wing for sponsoring this episode. Today's episode is brought to you by William Morrow. I'll be dead in three months. Come tell my story. Imagine someone told you that. That's what Sebastian Trapp, a reclusive mystery novelist, told to his longtime correspondent Nikki Hunter, an expert in detective fiction. So with only a few months left to live, Trapp invites Nikki to his spectacular San Francisco mansion to help draft his life story, living alongside his beautiful second wife, Diana, his wayward nephew, Freddie, and his protective daughter, Madeline. But soon, Nikki finds herself caught in an irresistible case of real-life detective fever. Make sure to pick up End of Story by New York Times bestselling author A.J. Finn for a book that gives knives out, that gives White Lotus. You'll like this if you like books by Lucy Foley, Nita Prose, and others. So make sure to pick it up, check it out, and thanks again to William Morrow for sponsoring this episode. Okay, so I have a few a few news stories we could talk about, like, real quick, fast. Yeah, let's do it. Yeah, like, one is kind of like, ugh, a bummer, but then the other two are cute. So this first one is about Amanda Gorman's inaugural poem being banned in a school in Florida. So it's banned for elementary school students at a K through eight school in Florida. And it was banned after a single complaint, which is wild. And Gorman went to Twitter and was just talking about the whole situation and how the person basically also complained about a few other books that were by and or about black and Latin a culture. And, you know, people rightfully were like, all right, this is ridiculous. So Gorman was just talking about that. Uh, this happened to, this happened a few days ago, but still one of the more, 
I feel like people were talking about this for a little longer than other things. Yeah. Well, and I don't know if you saw like the actual complaint form because that was scanned and uploaded. And it was just, yes. it, it, it got me so irritated because yes. it, you know, the anatomy of a good sort of request for reconsideration form asks a lot of questions and asks people to be as specific as possible and mm-hmm. offers, you know, community members the opportunity to be like, hey, so you don't think this is appropriate? Like, what should be, you know, in its stead? You know, what other thing? And like, the, this person right. just didn't even bother to fill out like, oh, nothing. Oh, no. I didn't read any reviews about it. Oh, I, I just don't think it should be in the library not like this poem should be in the library instead or this poet should be in the library instead and it's just uh, it's just irritating it's obvious oh and one other key thing that i think should be mentioned with this is that the complainer said that in in the form that you're talking about where it says the author (laughs) yes oh my god how could we have forgotten that she listed oprah winfrey (laughs) And I, okay, I'm like, let me get this in real quick fast, because that tells you all you need to know really about what's really going oh on here. God. In addition to what you were just saying, like, she didn't read any reviews, she didn't offer any replacements, talking of, she mentioned indoctrination, and I'm like, really, girl? This poem, really? Okay. Oprah Winfrey is trying to indoctrinate your children. Oprah Winfrey. Yes, it's one of her favorite things. <laughs> and you get a poem, and you get a poem. Indoctrination. And you get indoctrinated, and you get it. Um, JK, yeah. Oprah, don't come for me. Um, but yes, yeah, so that's that. But people, I, I felt like I saw a lot of people in support of Gorman because it's just ridiculous. And I like that Gorman um, used her platform to talk about this. And that is just helpful for getting the word out about how we need to fight mm-hmm. ridiculous book bans. And it's like you said, if you have a reasonable complaint about something, you read the book, you know, you're like, okay, man, I don't, you know, I'm not feeling this. Go through the proper channels and review it and all that stuff. We're just talking about mm-hmm. like some of these things are ridiculous. But yes, so in great news, there is a nonprofit that is making book fairs accessible to underserved students. It's, I hope this grows. At the moment, it is being ran by an independent bookstore in California's Bay Area. And so it will um, serve students in that area. But I kind of feel like it's going to get bigger. Basically, they're going to have two parts um, of their book fair starting in fall. And what that entails, what that will look like is they'll have a more, um, I guess, traditional book fair where, you know, kids come, they pick out their stuff, they pay for it. And the other side of the book fair is going to be one where kids from underserved schools um, that receive like funding from the federal government, they're going to be able to pick out a book and take it home with them. Yay! And I think that's really awesome. Uh, that's awesome. Yes. I don't know what the grade groups for this are. Mm -hmm. I was trying to find that, so I didn't see it. So it might be elementary. Um, But even if it's middle grade, that still falls within the young adult um, age bracket. So I think this is applicable. 
So I have worked at multiple scholastic book fairs in my career, Mm. just like as a librarian, um, as a volunteer, you know, all sorts of things. Most recently, so I'm the public library director of a combination school and public library in a really tiny town in Iowa. And so whenever the school does their scholastic book fair, it's actually in the public library, which is great because that means more people can come in and buy books and, you know, raise more money. And one thing that I'm really impressed with this community is that there are multiple individuals who will like adopt a classroom Aww. and like tell the kids like, hey, go to the book fair, pick out a book under X amount of dollars. And like the book fair volunteers help coordinate that. But then like we also have a local Kiwanis group and they they sponsor book purchases for kids who can't you know afford to to buy books from the book fair like um, the teachers kind of submit a list of kids who would benefit from this and then like the kids get kind of called down by class and just be like okay it's your turn to like pick out a book you get like one book and it's you know this price range and they just keep a running tally and then like this local organization just pays for it and so I I just like I I wanted to bring that up because I think it's so cool that this nonprofit is trying to like make book fairs accessible for like a ton of kids on a large scale but also if you feel passionately about this like it's it's something that you could do in your own community already yes i love that yeah i didn't have i didn't see this when i was in school like you know the age range of scholastic book fairs so i didn't know that it was like a thing that was like widespread but i love that and that is i'm glad that you mentioned that because it can be you know you can start your own program or you know get other people to help you start. So I think that's amazing. Yeah. It's like such a happy story. Last thing we could talk about is there is a poem written by U.S. poet laureate Ana Limon, and it is being sent on NASA's Europa Clipper. And you can have your name go with the poem to Into Outer Space. So... That's that. That's cute. Europa is one of Jupiter's moons. And I was like, wait, where is Europa again? (laughs) I know it's somebody's moon. I signed it. I thought it was a cute little thing to do. Um, So, yeah, we'll include a link. That's cool. Outer space. NASA. Yeah. Yeah. Books in space are cool. Exactly. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's me. Yes. All right. One last thing um, to tell you about before we get into the meat of our episode, and that is our new newsletter, The Deep Dive. So if you're looking for fascinating stories, informed takes, useful advice, all that good stuff, um, especially as it is written by, you know, power readers, teachers, librarians, booksellers, bookish people, uh, definitely subscribe to The Deep Dive, which is a new biweekly newsletter to inform and inspire readers, and it goes right to your inbox. So you can read read the first issue, which is the Power Reader's Guide to Reading Logs and Trackers. Um, You can access that for free. But if you want to get the full access, you can check out all those details and choose your level of membership at bookrat.substack.com. Sounds like there's going to be a lot of really good stuff um, from, like we mentioned, guides to reading logs to like the history of scratch and sniffs and, um, (laughs) you know, the history like Mexican history through one book, um, like little micro histories through literature. It's going to be fun. So definitely check that out. Yes. 
And it's Pride Month. Woo! Yes. Thank you for that sound effect. Yes. I loved yes. it. <laughs> um, I love Pride because it always feels like this joyous celebratory month. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'm queer. I'm like, yeah, let's get it. But there's this meme going around lately that's like, I need cis oh people gosh. to like... You know, be less about love is love and more, like, about the fact that, you know, queer people are under attack and trans people mm. are being, like, mm. literally hunted in certain states. So, like, let's let's stay, you know, aware and focused and, you know, stand up for people. Um, but also, yay, Pride. So that's, like, very much <laughs> where I'm at this month, which is, like, yay, Pride. But also, oh, my God, this is terrifying. I didn't mean to laugh. I wasn't laughing at your message. It was just how you juxtapose. Okay, like people are actually dying, but yay, go team. Like, I know. Right? <laughs> Which is maybe not like the, the best way to. No, I feel you though. I, I mean, that's real. Oh, it is. Yeah. So I don't like, and I, I don't know. I feel like late, more and more lately, I'm like struggling with the like yay pride part because I'm like, oh mm. my God, everybody loves to like, you know, be like, oh, I went to Walmart and I got this cute little pillow that says love is love. Yay. And I'm like, yeah, that's awesome. And in my lifetime, did I ever think that pride, like Walmart would sell pride stuff? No. Um, So that's cool. But like also like check your state legislation because stuff is bad out here. It's bad. So yeah, Yeah. that's kind of like where I'm at right now. (laughs) But that's a good point. On that note, like I do think as you're saying, it's good to be an ally. If you're not queer, it's good to be an ally. It's good to join in the joy of pride with queer um, friends and family and stuff like that. But sometimes people don't want to get into the nitty gritty of things like what you're talking about, which is advocating when yeah. it's needed. So I think that is a great reminder. Yeah, uh, we could do both. Totally. And like, as as a queer person, and this is just my perspective, I'm not mm-hmm. speaking for the entire LGBTQ community here. Like, I'm totally fine with people being like, yeah, let's celebrate. Like, yeah. you know, I want to like, you know, be like, yay, yay pride with you, even though I'm straight. Like, cool. Like, that, that makes yeah. me happy. Like, yeah, definitely. But like, it's the yes. And also, please speak up against like all of this terrifying legislation. And like censorship and like homophobia and transphobia in your own communities um i think you can do both and like i'm definitely not a perfect person um and i'm always learning but one thing that i have discovered is that being an ally is not easy being an ally is not like you know putting on a pride shirt and showing up to a parade being an ally Mm -hmm. is like sticking your neck out and making yourself uncomfortable and doing the hard things knowing that like for you the consequences probably won't be so bad because you've got straight privilege or any sort of privilege and like that's i don't know i feel like that is especially an apt reminder (laughs) this time of year especially this year yeah i think so and As you said, I'm also not perfect, of course, but as a straight ally, I have tried to speak up when I feel like I can or, you know, when it's possible. And I feel like even with in personal relationships, it's important to do that because I feel like silence is complicity. That's how I view it. So, but as we're, you know, in the theme of what we're saying, I do think I could 
probably always be, you know, everyone could always be doing more. So I do think I need to check the local. <laughs> Speaking for myself, I do need to check some local like legislative things. Yeah. I know I vote and things, but you know, Woo-woo. it always is good to get more involved with local government. Yeah. Local government is where so much stuff happens. So for sure. A lot of stuff. Yes. Um, so yeah, go to your local library, see if they have pride displays, tell a librarian you support them. That's helpful. Mm, yeah. I will say too, when, well, kind of what you've said in a way, but I will say with like her- these heritage months and stuff, I do appreciate that pride, again, I'm speaking as a straight person, so I'm kind of like on the outside in a way. But I do appreciate that pride is, like, very joyous. Because yeah. I feel like, like, I'm black, obviously. Like, a lot of <laughs> Black Heritage Month is, like, or Black History Month is, like, you know, focused on the struggle. And that's important to talk about. And I know in recent years, people have tried to add, not take away, but add to that, like, black joy and stuff like that. But I do, like, um, just as, like, a kind of a side note that, Pride is just like inherently very joyous and celebratory. So that's just my little, yeah. you know, my little two cents on it. It's it's great. And like, I think that there's, you know, there's a lot to do to like balance out like the joy with like understanding our history and understanding, yeah. you know, because I did not get any queer history in school at all. And now like yeah. many states would absolutely forbid it. And that's terrible. But like, yeah, it's nice to have that balance. Absolutely. So oh, yeah, so Ooh. we've got some recent queer reads for y'all to get into for this month and beyond. I don't know. Did you want to start off, Tirza? Sure, I'll start yes. off. Yeah, and this is like there's no super big rhyme or reason to it. It's just kind of like books that are queer that we've read recently. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> yeah, it'll be fun. Yeah, it'll be fun. My first one is We'll Never Tell by Wendy Hurd, and this is a really fun mystery thriller. Wendy Hurd writes um, like queer mystery thrillers for teens and for adults. So We'll Never Tell is her most recent YA release, and it is about four um, teenagers. They're really close friends. They um, live in L.A., and they go to high school in L.A., and for like the last few years, they've had this secret YouTube channel where they have been breaking into and exploring like old and abandoned places. And like they do it like so that their videos are very anonymous, like nobody knows their identities. And each of the four of them like bring some sort of skill set to like producing these videos. And they don't do it for like clicks or for um, money, but like they're very popular channel. And so um, they're about to graduate, you know, senior year, and they want to like make one last epic video. And so one of them is like, we need to break into the murder house. And so there's like this, this house where it was the scene of a horrific murder in the 1970s. And since that murder, which was like kind of sort of solved, but like, you know, they, it's not officially solved, but like, it's one of those things where everyone's like, well, we know who did it really, but you know, we just can't say officially, but like, since the case is technically unresolved and because like the people who inherited the house, like don't really want it, the house has like stood intact, like insides the same as it was on the day of the murder and everything's just like still there. Like they've added obviously like a security system to keep, you know, people like them out, but like they want to go in and like see what the house looks like and film everything. And Casey, the protagonist, is like really not super into this idea because she's like, 
it feels a little too voyeuristic for her. And um, her mom was also murdered. So she was kind of like, I don't Ooh. feel good. Yeah. And this was hap- This happens before the book starts. Um, it's just kind of part of her backstory. Um, and her mom's murder went unsolved. And so she um, is like, I don't feel good about going to a place where people were murdered to like take videos of it for like youtube entertainment and her friends kind of convince her like no no no, we'll do it respectfully it'll be fine so she reluctantly goes with them so they're in this house and uh they get separated um which isn't like a creepy thing because they're just kind of like oh this house is so you know surreal and they're kind of you know slinking through the the rooms and whatnot and then all of a sudden the security alarm which they should have been able to disarm goes off and they in their scramble to like run away they discover one of their friends jacob has been stabbed and his camera has been stolen yeah and like you know the, the security alarm's going off and this is like a very famous house in like, you know, the hills and with rich people all around them. So like they got to get the heck out of Dodge before the police show up. And mm-hmm. he he looks dead. Their friend looks dead. So they, they leave him. And oh. Im- immediately the regret sinks in, right? Oh my God. And then when they find out via the police radio that he actually is not dead, then they're like, oh crap, this looks really bad for us because we just ran away from a crime scene in which our friend was stabbed and um so they they decide i know it's so awful um not making the best decisions in this book (laughs) but um so they decide to like cover their tracks so they can't get caught and they pretend that they were never there and it's like just convincing enough because like the police can't like prove that they were there but the police are definitely suspicious of them And so as the next few days um, sort of unravel and and unfold, you know, their friend's in a coma. They don't know what happened to him. He's not able to say what happened to him. And um, Casey is like, it was either one of us or somebody else was in that house. And so she becomes Mm. determined to figure out, like, who owns the house? What could have possibly been going on? And her investigation leads her to the original murder mystery and the descendants of that original murder mystery. And, um, yeah, it gets pretty twisty. It was really good. And it's queer. Like, three of the four friends in this friend group are queer. It's not necessarily a romantic novel. But, yeah, I really liked that there was, you know, queer representation, queer relationships in this book. And then it was just like this very twisty sort of mystery, very thriller-like. I really liked it and I would highly recommend it. So that's We'll Never Tell by Wendy Hurd. That sounds really interesting. And I will say like I did giggle at their decisions, but also like their their frontal cortexes, cortices? <laughs> cortices? I don't know. I don't, I don't know. Front of I'm not sure. Uh, Latin? Anyone? Um, their their brains are not fully developed. So to be fair, like split decisions. Yeah. Yeah. Like to be fair. So let me, I'm not trying to be too judgmental. That was, it was so ridiculous. Their decisions though, that I had to giggle a little bit. But yeah. that sounds really interesting though. Yeah. Like really good. Like I'm going to have to oh, expedite yeah. that one. I loved it. Yeah. It sounds super good. So my first one is... Forever is Now by Mariama J. Lockington. And okay, so first of all, pick this one up for the pretty floral cover because we love a pretty cover around these parts. Okay. Um, But also it's a novel told in verse. It's about Sadie, a black teenager who, when we first meet her, she is being broken up 
<laughs> by her girl. I'm laughing. Like, I'm just giggling at all these, like, like sad things today. Um, she's basically, the, the book opens up with her being broken up with by her girlfriend. Um, we also learn early on that Sadie has anxiety and her girlfriend, or I guess ex-girlfriend at this point, as she's breaking up with her, Sadie is understandably not taking it super well and immediately starts to ask Arya, the girlfriend, who she's seeing because Arya was one of those people who is, let's say, very charming, okay, um, and a direct contrast to Sadie in that way. That's not to say that Sadie is disliked, but just more quiet in general at school. And how the two started to speak to each other was that Sadie was having a panic attack one day at school and Arya helped her become more grounded. She did this by speaking to her about like nature documentaries and how relaxing they can be and stuff like that. And Sadie was embarrassed at first, but then Arya told her how her own mother also suffers from anxiety and that she didn't have to be embarrassed by it. And she just made Sadie feel very safe and, as I said, grounded. And so that starts their interaction and their eventual relationship. Okay, so but back to the present day. The two of them are outside. And as Aria is breaking up with Sadie, they hear a commotion. They look over and they see this incident unfolding between an older white woman and a black girl around their age. So the woman is accusing the girl of stealing her dog and has called the police, but the girl insists that she was just trying to find out the dog, you know, who the dog belonged to because it seemed to be by itself. So the police come and the girl is tackled and people, including Sadie and Arya, are recording the whole thing. And so understandably, everyone is shaken up after having witnessed this and Sadie on top of everything else, she already has anxiety. So she like literally has to run home after this. And what happens or what happened of the incident, it goes viral and everyone starts talking about it, especially locally. And Sadie was, you know, with the help of Aria, she was kind of getting to a place where her anxiety was kind of like better managed and stuff like that. But this just kind of unfurls that and undoes some of that, undoes some of those feelings of safety. And she doesn't feel safe outside like she used to. Mm. So yeah, it's, it's, yeah, it's real and sad. And, you know, so she wants to help like with protesting what she saw as well as other injustices and stuff like that. But she starts to withdraw inside herself and her anxiety takes the, shape of agoraphobia, which is basically, as I understand it, I'm not a professional, like you don't feel comfortable in large spaces and or outside of your house, essentially. So this results in her not leaving the safety of her house, of her home. Uh, and so now the plans she had for summer, because like school just ended, basically the plans she had for summer are ruined. She was going to, you know, kick it with her girlfriend. I mean, when her girlfriend broke up with her, that has nothing to do with the anxiety. But she was going to do that. She was going to be an intern at the writing center. She was going to protest, you know, stand up for things, advocate for things she believed in. And so now she, uh, you know, feels understandably frustrated from not being up to doing those things because she can't leave her house. So at least for now, she's she starts to work on regaining her sense of self and a sense of 
that feeling of safety when she is outside of her of her house. And she stays connected to like what's going on through her phone. And the book includes some interesting, um, it has like an interesting aspect. It, it shows like her social media posts and stuff like that, which makes the overall story feel more immersive. And I've seen that in a few books and I, I like the effect. I think it makes sense. You know, everyone has, most people have smartphones and stuff like that. So it just makes a lot of sense. As summer progresses, Sadie, she continues working with her therapist to manage her anxiety, all while staying connected to the community issues and even working on a little crush she has on a neighbor, you know, get the little, you know, little crush in, little boy next door situation. Um, so throughout her friends and family are pretty supportive. And, um, I think this book feels like a very empathetic, and real look at what it's like to have agoraphobia and anxiety. I say that as someone who doesn't have either one. Um, but I, you know, I just checked other reviews and stuff to see how people, and some people who have anxiety commented on it and said that it felt like a, you know, realistic and thoughtful portrayal of that. So again, that is Forever Is Now by Mariama J. Lockington. Awesome. Um, so I'm going to tell you about my next pick, but first let's hear from our next sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by National Geographic Books. The Cave is the incredible memoir of Imani Balur, a young doctor and activist who ran an underground hospital in Damascus, humanizing the enduring crisis in Syria. The only woman to have ever run a wartime hospital in Syria, she saved many from the atrocities of war while having to face the patriarchal conservatism around her. Amani Balor is a game changer. Listen, she will be remembered as one of history's greatest. She's a passionately committed humanitarian, and she is determined to help others escape the horrors that she survived. Make sure to pick up the memoir, The Cave by Amani Balor and Rania Abu Zaid for a memoir that expands on the 2019 Oscar nominated film by the same name, which documents her experience running the hospital, shielding children from horrific sarin attack, losing colleagues, trying to employ more women in the hospital, and eventually leaving and becoming a refugee. So make sure to read about this amazing woman. And thanks again to National Geographic Books for sponsoring this episode. Okie doke. So my next pick is a book that I thoroughly enjoyed. It is called Epically Earnest by Molly Horn. Erica, are you familiar with the importance of being earnest? Um, is that Oscar Wilde? Yes, it is. I have not read it, but I know it's Oscar Wilde. So do I get a half a point? <laughs> you do have I a get point. a half a stick? You get a full point. You, you're Thank good. Thank you. Thank um, you. Oh my gosh. So yeah, The Importance of Being Earnest is a play by Oscar Wilde. It's very short. You can read the play. The play is delightful, but I highly recommend watching the movie adaptation with Colin Firth and Reese Witherspoon Ooh. and Rupert Everett. Ooh. Yeah, the movie adaptation that is excellent it's very funny um and actually listening to this audiobook maybe be like i need to re-watch that because it's been a minute since i watched that but it's so fun so this is a modern day retelling of the importance of being earnest and it's very queer um so the basic premise of the importance of being earnest is you have two best friends and they are you know, very close, but um, they are, you know, keeping some things from each other. And they also have this, you know, crushes on 
certain, you know, well-bred ladies. And our protagonist is hopelessly in love with Gwen Fairfax, but she um, has this very controlling mother who thinks that like, you know, you don't have the pedigree to marry my daughter, basically. And it's true because our protagonist was um, left in the train station in a bag as a baby. And then he was like, yeah, I know. And then he was discovered by, you know, wealthy people who have given him a wonderful life. But because, you know, he doesn't know who his parents are. It's in a sticking point when it comes to like wanting to marry his true love. And so he's best friends with Algernon, who is this over the top, hilarious character um, who thinks that, you know, he should be falling in love with Cicely, who is um, the ward of his best friend. So lots of complicating, complicated hijinks ensue. There's also like this um, mixed identity sort of um, like secret identity, fake identity subplot um, that I won't get into, but it's very much a comedy of errors and I love it. So this contemporary um, retelling is about Jane Worthington and she is she was like one of the very first viral videos of the early internet because she was found in a Gucci bag in the Poughkeepsie train station and her dad, you know, discovered her and took her in. And um, as her dad discovered her, her aunt was filming on like a flip phone and that went viral. So that is a lot going on. <laughs> I know, right? This is a lot. So, so yeah, like, like, like that's Jane's backstory. But she right. loves her parents, and she's just yeah. like, you know, she doesn't feel a huge urge to go out and find her birth family because she loves her parents, right? Right. But Algernon, her best friend Algie, he is this over-the-top character, and he steals her spit and sends it into a DNA testing lab. And then like, you know, one of those 23 and me ancestry type things. Yeah. And he's like, look, I found you two like blood relations. And she's like, what the heck, Algie? Like that is like totally not cool. (laughs) No. And so she's dealing with the fact that like, you know, she might be able to find her birth family, but she's also falling in love with LG's cousin Gwen, who is this gorgeous, beautiful, unattainable girl. Um, and meanwhile, LG's crushing very hard on her cousin, Cecil, um, and she does not want Cecil and LG to get together because she loves them both. But LG is um, the type of guy who like dates around and she doesn't mm. want him to break Cecil's heart. So all of this is happening against like the backdrop of, of spring break and prom hijinks ensue. There's a promposal. There's, you know, ridiculous double dates and first dates. And yeah, it's just a lot of like, over-the-top teenage hilarity. <laughs> but then, you know, you also have this, like, adoption substory or subplot. And, um, yeah, it was just – it was fun. It's a shorter book. but So I listened to the audiobook in almost a full um, single sitting – but oh. it was just really fun. And I think, um, you know, the importance of being earnest is such a fun story. And it was kind of cool to see how it was updated for a contemporary audience. So that is Epically Earnest by Molly Horn. That sounds fun. I could see that being a Netflix special. Like oh, a yeah. episode or something. I would be into that. That's a whole bunch of a lot. Yeah. Even just a movie. It would be a fun Netflix movie for sure. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That was very extra and very much a lot, I, yes. which I like. <laughs> so the next one I have is a collection of stories. It's titled Transmogrify. It's edited by G. Heron Davis. Uh, first of all, love the title. 
Um, so like I said, this is a collection of stories, a fantastical collection of stories by some trans and non-binary authors about trans teens. And I just have to say that I love when books show how like being different is magical. That's just like kind of like a little catnip thing for me. Um, I hope that doesn't sound like too corny or something, but I just feel like thought and progress in human civilization. I think it's usually led by people who think outside the box and who maybe don't fit into like the status quo, who, you know, just think of things differently and are outside of what is considered mainstream culture. And this is like throughout history. And I feel like these people often overlap a lot with marginalized people. Again, this is, you know, marginalized people throughout history. That's just like my two cents on it. I could be overthinking it or whatever. But as far as this collection goes, there's definitely a big spirit of change and progress in these stories. There's a, there's a spirit of protest, um, not just for the characters themselves, but for the communities they belong to. There is a common theme throughout these stories that is about how like dismantling the status quo, especially as it relates to gender benefits everyone because it allows people to be more authentically themselves, which inevitably leads to everyone being happy and fulfilled and all that good stuff. And I also like how it's explored how we limit ourselves because there are some characters in these stories who have to be, who have to reject certain damaging things they've accepted and apply to themselves in order to be happy, which I think is so real. So as for the stories, they are of course all worthwhile, but I wanted to highlight a few. So there's one titled Dragons Name Themselves, and that is written by Arker Petta and Corey McCarthy. And it is about a magical school that is sentient, which I have never encountered before. I've encountered like in SFF, which is science fiction fantasy books, I have come across like sentient spaceships and stuff, but I haven't come across a sentient magic school. So that was a cute little first. So in the story... Two students have to take care of a dragon egg. Magical shenanigans ensue, naturally. And another story titled In a Name, uh, which is written by Aida Shanabar. The way your chakras spin determines your gender. In Bite the Hand by Nick Traxler and Pinar Atez Sinopolis Lloyd. That is another great one that has some like surreal qualities to it. And then there's another one that I'm going to mention real quick titled Genderella. And I just wanted to get into that one because I love the name. Obviously, it's like about Cinderella, but it's Genderella. I feel like I'm going to name a cat that or something one day. But yes, all of these are great stories, all worthwhile. You should read them. And the collection is called Transmogrify. It's edited by G. Heron Davis. Awesome. All right. My next pick is North Ranger by Ray Terciero and Brie Indigo. Um, now, it is a graphic novel, contemporary retelling of Northanger Abbey, and it is queer. I love it. Um, so um, it is about Cade, who is this horror-obsessed, um, almost 17-year-old who is living in Texas, and he knows he's different, and it's not just because, you know, he doesn't really have a lot of friends. You know, he, he's closeted. He has a family. Um, where his, so his mom 
and his stepdad are really struggling to, um, you know, make ends meet. And he, there, his abuela lives with them. And it seems like she is kind of confused about a lot of things and needs a lot of care. And then he has a younger stepsister as well. And so at the beginning of the book, he learns that the money is so tight and his parents are so stressed that um, his stepdad is actually going to go work on a ranch for the summer to kind of help make a bit of money. Um, he's going to work on the ranch of this like general that he um, served under when he was um, in the army. Um, I believe it's army. I don't I don't know army stuff. So I'm just going to assume. Um, and then they, they're like, well, you should go too. And he's like, excuse me, me work on a ranch. Why can't I just get a real summer job here in town? But you know, there's no real easy way for him to get to and from a summer job. Um, and his bike was just stolen. So they're like, no, 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 it's gonna be great. You'll make a lot of money at the ranch this summer. And whatever you make, you get to keep with the um, understanding that like, that's your money. So like, you're not going to be, you know, asking your parents for money constantly. And he is not enthused by this plan whatsoever, but it's kind of, you know, said and done. And so he he goes with his stepfather um, to the Tyler Ranch and it is big and fancy and he, Kate's just like, this is going to be a terrible summer. But um, one of the guys who he's working with, who's about his age, he's the owner's son and he finds him very intriguing and hot. Mm. Yeah, his name is Henry, of course. Oh, Henry. Um, yeah, he is very rugged and handsome Ooh. in that way. Hank, if you will. <laughs> right. <laughs> Hank, if you know him real well. If you know him. <laughs> um, so, yeah, and like, it seems like, you know, he's he's kind of feeling what Kate's feeling. But unfortunately, um, there have been some deaths lately. And um, Henry is like not really willing to talk about the deaths that have happened nearby. And Cade being this horror movie buff, immediately his imagination just like starts running away with him. And that means that like things get complicated between Cade and Henry because Cade's like, what is Henry hiding? Mm. Um, so, you know, it's that classic Northanger Abbey um sort of plot line um I, so i love the art in this like it's all kind of done in like browns and whites um with like various shading and it's it's really beautifully done like you know you think like um uh, uh, it's like brown almost verging on like maroon or purple so it's not like an ugly brown like it's really cool i mean it, of course it's not an ugly brown um, and i don't think brown is necessarily ugly but i think the the color in done in this is really nice and I, yeah, I just really liked that you get like a gothic setting, but it's like Texas. Um, it's kind of interesting to see like the various like things that you can do with gothic that's not just like, you know, English gothic. So this book was so great. So that's North Ranger by Ray Tercero and Brie Indigo. And they've also done um, some other graphic novels together. So this is not their first rodeo um, when it comes to working together for graphic novels. Pun intended. <laughs> pun Excellent intended. pun, and Thank you so much. You're I welcome. really appreciated that. Part. I'll just see myself <laughs> out now. <laughs> right. You're the episode over. We're done. <laughs> Wrap it up. Right. Um, that sounds really good. I have been reading a lot of graphic novels lately, and I totally see what you're saying with the art. The browns are warm. They're very warm. I like them also. That sounds really good. And I like the little, little uh, sprinkle of mystery there. 
Yeah, it's fun. Yes, it sounds fun. Interestingly enough, the next book I have is also a graphic novel. Funny how that works out. Mm. It is titled The Princess and the Grilled Cheese Sandwich by Dayam Muniz. Okay. It's a graphic novel that is cheesy. LOL. Um, Literally. So it's like a kind of fairy tale type of rom-com that follows Lady Camembert. Um, So her father is trying to get her married off. And like, even though he knows she is not attracted to men, her and her father accepts her for who she is, but he wants her to get married to a dude because when he passes away, if she's not married, she won't be able to inherit because things, you know, because things, there's no reason for that to exist, but that was real back in the day. So she's very adamant about not marrying But he comes up with a plan for her. So instead of marrying a man as a woman, he suggests that she move away once he passes away and live as a man in a place where no one knows like who she is really. So she can inherit, keep her money and do what she needs to do. So the time comes, he passes on and she does as he suggested. She moves and she starts to live as a man. So now instead of Lady Camembert. She is Count Camembert, Count Cam for short. Okay. And she has inherited, but is also living with this like huge secret. But then Princess Brie <laughs> catches her eye. Yes. All of this is a lot of cheese names. It's so, it's so goofy and cute. Princess Brie catches her eye and she is smitten. And uh, like I said, the cheese names, it adds to the lightheartedness of the overall story. It lets you know, like, listen, this is cute. Okay, just enjoy the cuteness of it, the lightheartedness of it. So Princess Brie is all about like activism and fashion and things like, you know, obviously. And um, some people have likened this story to The Prince and the Dressmaker, which I haven't read. But that one also sounds really cute. Yeah. it's. Have you read that one? I have. And it sounds like it's, um, yeah, serving up very similar vibes. Yeah. Yeah. I saw some people say that. And I was like, oh, okay. Because sometimes I have to like read reviews to remind myself what I read. (laughs) Um, But yes. So naturally, uh, Brie and Count Cam start falling in love. But then there's the question of whether Cam can, one, keep her secret And two, if Princess Brie finds out the secret, will she still want to be with Cam? So, like I said, this is super cute. It's fun. It challenges, you know, ideas around gender and stuff like that, while also serving up preciousness and giggles. Everything's named after cheese. I mean, come on. So the title again is The Princess and the Grilled Cheese Sandwich by Dea Mutis. Nice. This, I mean, seems delightful and cheesy. And I love cheese. So I will, like, like, yeah, like, I love, like, you know, cheese in my stories, but, like, I also love literal cheese. So this is. (laughs) (laughs) I think it's got, I think it's got a good serving of cheese. Yeah. Absolutely. All right. So we're quickly running out of time. So I'm just going to mention a book that I started, but have not gotten all the way through. And that is the um, Luis Ortega Survival Club Mm. by Sonora Reyes. Um, Now, y'all know that I loved The Lesbiana's Guide to Catholic School Mm -hmm. so, so, so much. I, you know, raved about it all last year. So this is Sonora Reyes' follow-up novel. 
And it is about a teenage girl who is a neurodivergent. Um, she doesn't really talk. Um, she really only talks with people that she feels comfortable with. And that is a very short list. And so because of that, and people just kind of think that she's mute and she can't talk or, you know, whatever, they don't really include her at school. So she doesn't have a lot of friends until this guy named Luis starts paying attention to her and seems to really care for her. And he invites her to a party and she goes and she kind of surprises everybody by showing up and she's kind of warned off of him like you know stay away from him and she just Mm. assumes that it's like jealous ex-girlfriends but at this party louise pressures her into having sex and she definitely you know she doesn't say yes she doesn't enjoy it she's very upset and she's confused and she blames herself afterwards and then she finds out that like he's done this to other girls and so she makes connections um, with these with these people who've you know been through the same thing that she's been through, and she kind of has to figure out like okay how do we you know go forward from this? Um, so it's heavy, definitely content warning for um, you know the dealing with the fallout of sexual assault and, and date rape. Um, the assault is not on the page, but it is something that is obviously dealt with directly in the book. Um, so I read like the first 30 pages and then I misplaced my copy because Ah! I don't know if I mentioned this, but I'm moving and my house is a mess right now and I couldn't find it for like three days. And I was so angry because I'm like, I want to know what happens next. Like, and I'm not going to buy another copy because I have one somewhere in this house. Um, (laughs) and I'm happy to report right before I sat down to start recording, I did find my copy and so I can finish it. But I, you know, I just loved you know, their first book so much. So I'm really enjoying Luis Ortega. And I also know that it was like Sonora Reyes's first book was really popular at my library. So I'm excited to get this one on the shelves as well and, and read it. So yeah, that is the Luis Ortega Survival Club by Sonora Reyes. I also am really looking forward to that one. I still haven't read Lesbiana's Guide. That's also on my list. Both of them have nice covers just as an, as an aside. But yeah, yes. I'm super interested in reading that one as well. And the last one I will mention before we go, I'll be a little quick about it. I have not finished this one, but I have read this author's debut. So the title is Where Echoes Die by Courtney Gould. And Courtney Gould's previous book uh, that came out like 2021, I think, uh, was titled The Dead in the Dark. And I feel like this one shares some DNA with that one. It, like the previous book, follows a queer teen girl searching for answers about her parents, specifically in this one about her mother. And she has to contend with a creepy town. So specifically, this one, in this one, Beck is still dealing with the death of her mother, who was an investigative reporter. And now, before, like right before her mother died, her mother was struggling with mental health issues. And these mental health issues basically saw that Beck was essentially providing uh, parental care to her little sister, Riley, since their father moved out after um, their parents got divorced. So one day, an odd letter comes in the mail that says, come and find me. And it's written in their mother's handwriting. And it directs Beck and her sister to this town in Arizona called Backravel. And side note, but I love the names that Courtney Gold gives her towns in her books. Uh, in the other book, the t- weird town was called Snakebite. So there's just an extra little side note. Anyway, so they go to the town as a vacation before they go live with their father. 
And they don't really tell their father about stuff, but they go there because it's like a connection to their recently deceased mother. And let me say, the town is so not the vibe. Like, it's missing regular town things like cars and churches and cemeteries. Instead, it has these, like, old military structures and, like, that's juxtaposed with these newer shiny buildings. And then there's this treatment center that seems to be overlooking everything that the locals seem to swear by. Speaking of the locals, none of them, like, remembers time before they started living in the town and they all like seeing the praises of the town's very sus, but still somehow charismatic leader, Ricky Carnes, and the treatments that go on at the treatment center. So Riley, um, Beck's sister, gets this weird sickness that seems to be a result of being in the town. And so now Beck has to, you know, help Riley, to take care of Riley, while also figuring out how her mother is connected to this weird place while dealing also with a very strong attraction to the town leader's daughter, Avery. So there's a lot going on. I like the premise a lot and what I've read so far. So we'll see. Again, that's Where Echoes Die by Courtney Gould. Awesome. Yeah, this one's been on my TBR for a while. So Mm -hmm. thank you for reminding me of it. Yes, yes, yes. Okay, great. So, well, we could go on and on, but unfortunately, we have to end because we are running out of time. But thank you so much for tuning in. And, you know, remember that you can always leave us feedback on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, or you can always email us at heyya at bookriot.com. Don't forget to visit bookriot.com for newsletters, more podcasts, all things bookish at bookriot.substack.com for our new newsletter. Thank you to today's sponsors for making the show possible. And thanks as always to our awesome audio editor, Jen Zink. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram. I hang out at at Tears of Price. And how about you, Erica? On Twitter at Erica underscore E-Z-E underscore. Awesome. Well, until next time, happy reading. Happy reading. Happy reading.